Hi, it's Peter Saltzman. You're listening to Improvisations on the Ledge. If you're enjoying this podcast with its unique blend of piano and verbal improvisation, please subscribe, give it five stars, and write a verbose review with lots of big words. On to the show. This is the avant-garde jazz for dummies episode, and it's going to have to be quick. I got lessons to teach in 45 minutes, but avant-garde in general is better when it's quick. Surely you've heard of Cecil Taylor, the late, great, so-called avant-garde, so-called jazz, so-called pianist. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but in fact, Cecil, who died last year, I believe, at around 88, 90 years old, was an early hero of mine back in the day when I was into that kind of thing, and I still am. But I say so-called, so-called, so-called because Cecil himself would find all of those labels, except the pianist part, which is snarky on my part, would find all of those avant-garde and jazz to be uh, misleading and derogatory in a way. He would also find even the free improvisation label, which is what his music was often called, freely improvisatory. He would call that misleading. It was anything but freely improvisational, Cecil would tell you. And the reason for this, I think, in his own mind, and I'm putting thoughts of mine into his own mind, which is kind of illegal. The reason for this, I would think, is that it was anything but free from his standpoint. It was very disciplined, required a lot of forethought, practice, obviously, and general thinking about the structure of what he was playing. To our ears, to the average listener, to the average avant-garde for dummies listener, it would seem that there's no structure there, that it's just all over the place like this. Which, to me, is, I understand where Cecil's coming from because what I just did there is all the result of things I've been practicing for years. 
for the average listener, perhaps, who hasn't been practicing for years and not thinking about complex musical relationships, structures, it seems like noise, perhaps? But everything I did there is based on some kind of pattern or scale that I do practice. And I know for a fact that the same goes for Cecil, although he was using different patterns, different scales, different structures. We may use some of the same things in common because I listen to a lot of him and other so-called avant-gardists. remember reading some review by a jazz critic saying that what Cecil was doing, well, let's put it this way. There was some question out there whether he knew what he was doing at all or he was just perhaps pounding on the keys, banging away. Somebody made the point, and it wasn't that brilliant, that he could repeat everything he had just done. He, this is kind of one of the hallmarks of making music, repetitious sound sound patterns. And indeed, Cecil had a palette of patterns that he repeated and mixed and morphed in various ways. This is basically what creating music is about. It's just that his language, his musical language, derived from the African-American experience derived from Thelonious Monk, derived from Ellington. He chose a very personal, created a very personal language that may not make sense to most people who are, after all, used to something like That's an actual song, isn't it? I can't remember. From the 70s, most likely. Which is where most music popular music that I remember comes from. Not to diminish that tune or traditional harmony, but to say that it is possible to create your own musical language to a greater or lesser extent. Now, most innovators even, it's to a somewhat middle extent, in between greater and lesser. The middle ground there allows the innovator, like, say, Miles Davis, or Beethoven, not too late, or Coltrane, not too late Coltrane. That middle ground where they're innovating, but still in a language that we're familiar with, allows those composers, those musicians, improvisers, to communicate, to connect with the listener who is grounded in very traditional forms of making music, whereas somebody like Cecil Taylor or, I guess in a way, Arnold Schoenberg or John Cage or late Coltrane or even, quite frankly, some late Beethoven, whereas they, at that point in their musical development, are no longer in that middle ground. They're going towards the greater side of that equation, the side where they've left the common musical language to a greater extent and veered more towards their own private language, in a sense. 
And this creates in the average listener a kind of angst, a consternation even, like, where the hell are they going now? This is no longer music. And believe it or not, late Beethoven string quartets, piano sonatas, there were people, even symphonies, who thought he was crazy. He had lost it, gone off the deep end. Now, people are probably still going to say this about Cecil Taylor or late Coltrane. Coltrane died in 67. So what is that, 52 years ago? A lot of people would still find that music to be out there, crazy, beyond comprehension. And go listen to the, some of the late Beethoven string quartets or sonatas. You may find it like the Gross Fugue. That's not gross. It's German for Gross is great. You may find it incomprehensible. So this idea of the avant-garde, it's been around forever. Go listen to, I believe it's 14th or 15th century, the composer Gesualdo, who uh, developed his own private musical language, mostly out of probably experience of murdering his wife and her lover. That's another story. But he created this very chromatic, dense, dark kind of depressing musical language, which is nevertheless fascinating from the standpoint of 500 years later, or whatever it was. The thing is, when you do something like I just did there and have this generally what most people would call atonal or transtonal, I don't know what it is, and I don't care. But when you do something like that and then bring in these more familiar elements, they become almost the dissonance or, in a sense, the consonant-dissonant relationship is flipped. And 
on the one hand, you're very happy. You're very happy to have those elements there. They're pleasing. They feel like you're back in familiar territory, home, whereas before you were kind of floating in the void. And then you introduce something more familiar. And you, the listener, start wondering, well, maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Then he does that. And you really don't know. Hey, it's me, Peter Saltzman, again. I mean, who else? Stay tuned for the next episode of Improvisations on the Ledge, which you'll be gently notified about if you subscribe. And if you love the music, you can hear a ton more on my Bandcamp page, petersaltzman.bandcamp.com, where you can also subscribe and get access to exclusive content, including all the music from these podcasts, not to mention all the non-piano music, like my one-minute songs. And if you want to support my work directly, please check out my newly launched Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash petersaltzman. Finally, be sure to check out my main website, petersaltzman.com, for all the latest. And don't worry, all of these links are in the notes below. Thanks for listening.